Welcome to Health Tech Matters, a podcast where we explore the ways how great healthcare products are built. I'm your host, Mary, and each week I talk to startup founders, product managers, and designers working in healthcare startups. Today we're going to talk about monitoring well-being of a team automatically based on the conversations and mental health support in small and big companies. Welcome our guest, Daniel Owen Wiltford, founder of Pioneer an artificial intelligence platform to predict and prevent workspace stress. Stay tuned! Well, actually, my background is in very large organisations. So I, in Australia, I grew up in Sydney and I used to run retail networks, call centres and then large-scale transformations for big, big companies. And I loved it. I was having a real impact on customers. I was leading big teams. So I was developing people and talent and I loved everything that I did, but I burnt out in 2016 and I didn't see the warning signs coming. So it was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to my workplace. I was very senior at that point and still they, my workplace and my managers and my mentors, none of us saw the warning signs. I just went into the office one day and quit my job unexpectedly for them, unexpectedly for me. And, and I took a bit of time out. And during that time, I realized that the warning signs had been there for me. So in my language, in my behavior, it was clear that I was actually at the point of exhaustion and burnout. It's just that none of us saw that. What I decided to do at that point, rather than go into another role, I decided to take a different path. And what I wanted to do was prevent that burnout in other people. And because it was a technology that I wanted to create, I spoke to someone and they said to me, that's a startup. And I said to them, apparently, oh, what's a startup? But I, I, had, I have 20 years work experience. I'm not a 20-year-old out of university. So it was quite funny that I had no idea even what a startup was back then. So I, I went into an accelerator in Sydney that focused specifically on non-technical female founders because I'm not a technology person. I'm not a coder or a developer. I am a business person. So I went into this program and they helped me build the startup. And that's how Pioneer came about. They helped me understand what a product was. They, you know, taught me about MVPs. They introduced me to a couple of customers that I could pilot with. They helped me find some team members. And then I was on my way. And that was in 2018. So three years ago, that's how we got started. And how did you feel about this change, this drastic change, I'd say? For me, it wasn't a plan to say I want to go in a completely different direction. It felt like it evolved as I evolved. So when I stepped out of the workplace, I think when we're so absorbed in something, and I loved my job and I loved my company and I was completely in it. I was absorbed in it. I was committed to it. I think when we're like that, we often don't see anything other than what we're doing. So for me to step out of that, all of a sudden, this whole world opened up that I didn't know was even there. So to go in this direction to help others didn't seem so strange. I come from a family of my mum was a social worker, my sister's a social worker. So giving back to society, being part of the solution, helping people is part of my DNA. So it didn't feel that, that it was that different in the beginning. I must say three years on, 
what has been interesting is that whilst I would consider myself a business person, my original intent was just to build product that I could put out into the world to help people. And what was the first version of Pioneer product? How did it look like? What was great about the She Starts program that I did, that was the program I was telling you about, is they taught us about MVPs and they said, rather than do an MVP the way that some people do it, which is just a small component of the product, they encouraged us to think about what the most challenging component of the product would be and build an MVP around testing whether or not people would buy the product based on that challenging component. So our product works like a spell checker. So you download the bot into collaboration systems. So that could be email or chat. We've built the bot now in Slack. So you download the bot into that collaboration system and it sits there looking for linguistic cues. So our biggest challenge was going to be, would people let us access their data? So all the other stuff aside, building AI, building models, all that stuff. But at the fundamental crux of it was, would people allow us to access their data? Would they trust us? Would they want to reveal that part of themselves? So our first MVP basically was to test that. So we created a bot that we called a whinge bot and we called it Uncle Ron. And Uncle Ron was named after a man that I used to work with and he was brilliant, the best of times. He would ring me late at night and I'd be working away and he just let me have a whinge and he'd go, what do you think of this, Dan? And I'd go, blah, 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 blah. So I named the whinge bot after him. He was my <laughs> like my counsellor really, but he just listened to me. He listened and, and gave me an avenue to get all my frustrations out. So we built this whinge bot called Uncle Ron. And, and in reality, it was basically just a responsive website. It asked you a couple of questions and you could just have a whinge. So it said, how are you feeling today? You could rate it out of one to five. And we had little smiley faces and whatever. And then it, it said, do you want to say anything? And you could just in free text, write whatever you wanted. We put it into the, a big, big bank here in Australia just to test it. And what was really interesting is that it spread like wildfire because everyone loved the concept of the whinge bot. They loved that they could just have a whinge and it was a bit of a novelty. But what also happened is that most people only used it once. And when we went back to them and said, why was that the case? People said, well, I love that you've given me a whinge bot. I love that I have some support in the workplace, but I don't know when I need to use it because I don't know when I'm stressed. So can you tell me when I need to have a whinge to the whinge bot? And basically that just validated our whole business model because mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. I just didn't know if people would allow us to do that. So that was that's what led us then to the further iterations of the product. And could you please tell me how it looks and works right now? Yeah, sure. So how it um, works now is you can just go to our website and you can download the bot from our website. So if you have Slack, it just downloads as an app into Slack. And the bot is actually named Indie now. We changed the name of it. Download Indie into your Slack workspace. And then you choose which channels you would like Indie to be a part of. And Indie is only a part of public channels. And so whoever the administrator of the owner of the Slack workspace is, they can only do that. Not everyone can do it. It's just the administrator or the owner. And we do that because we want to make sure that we've got permission to be there because we're very aware that we're dealing with 
data and we're dealing with conversations and we want to make sure that we're dealing with that appropriately. So you download Indy into whichever channels you want to download her into. It announces itself. The bot says, hi, I'm Indy. This is what I'm here to do because transparency is really important to us. We don't want people to be putting this in the background and like scaring people or monitoring people in the wrong way. So the bot announces itself it's there and then it starts collecting data. The manager can go to the dashboard. So we have a real-time dashboard and they can go to the dashboard and then Indy tells them what's going on. So Indy will say, this is the team's best day. This is the team's worst day. Here's some patterns and trends in the data that you might want to keep an eye on for. Here are big spikes of stress. Here are big spikes of wellness. Indy will tell the manager about engagement and when the team are engaged in the channel and when they're not and really gives the manager a whole lot of insights they can use for their team, but also gives the manager some tips as to what to do with that data. So it's not just more data because we were learning from managers and businesses. They were like, I've got so much data. I just don't know what to do with it. So we give the manager leadership tips as well, expert leadership tips. And that ranges from go and say this to your team right through to here is a way of prioritizing work. The team size has to be seven and above and we do that to protect the individual's privacy so no one can be targeted in the Mm -hmm, data mm -hmm. and that's what a manager can do. As an individual that works in that workplace, if the company's bought Indy, they can do the same thing. They can go into their own personal dashboard and Indy will share with them how things are going for them. So Indy shares your best day, your worst day, gives you tips again on how do you reinforce your wellness or how do you manage your stress, gives you some insight into how engaged you were in the team at certain times of the day. And only you can access that data. So no one else, we have two-factor authentication and all that stuff. How did you choose which metrics, which data is most important for the employees? Oh, such a good question. Interestingly, when we started on the journey of Uncle Ron and the first amount of analysis, we analysed the text, like the free text that was coming into the bot, and we analysed across a range of variables and the key things we thought companies would need. And we started with a very basic sentiment analysis, and then we looked at other things like linguistic cues that indicated components of mental health. We looked at words that were used in a workplace, in a workplace context, and did they denote stress or wellness? And we scored those ourselves. So we looked across all of those kind of, you know, variables and we built the system to be able to tell everyone everything. And we had all of that data ready. And the metric we wanted to help in an organisation is we wanted to reduce sick leave, we wanted to improve productivity for an organisation. And we thought giving them all of those pieces of data would work. When we did that initial initial analysis, they said, that's really interesting, but we need more analysis. So they gave us a whole lot of data from a survey that they had been doing for the last six months as part of a transformation program. We didn't know that was part of a transformation program to start with. They just gave us the data. And so we applied all of our analytic tools to all of this data and we came back to them with a whole lot of insight. And out of all of that, 
the main thing they actually were quite interested in was the sentiment analysis. And that was because they weren't able to digest and use everything. They just picked the component that they understood and they could digest and use and then asked us, how do we use this data? So then we started thinking about, okay, how do we share the tips and what do we do with the tips? So we then in our data for this organisation pulled everything off the dashboard and only really showed them stress and wellness and sentiment. And then out of those two components, I was doing some coaching specifically with the managers, how to use those components. So that was our starting point. That was interesting because we thought everyone wanted everything and organisations were much more simplistic in what their needs were. Mm -hmm. And that's continued. So when new organisations come on, they just really specifically tell me one thing. So that's why we've now evolved the product to say this was your best day, this was your worst day, because people are just like, I just want to know what days I need to fix. Like, okay, so we just, these are the days you need to focus on. And then after that, we can evolve that to the next step. Yeah, that's very interesting because previously I was not thinking about stress in a team in relation to the day. Why do you think this happens? Because Monday is the most stressful and Friday is everybody's tired and something like this. Yeah. Look, I think it varies depending on the workplace. Unfortunately, we haven't seen it as linear as that. You would think no one likes Mondays because they're back <laughs> on their weekends. Everyone gets Mondayitis and Friday everyone's tired. We found much more interesting patterns around certain events. So what we found was that certain, t- certain meetings, so team meetings, for example, would cause stress or end of day. So we found in one company we worked with a huge spike of stress at the end of of day, like always around three o'clock. And it turned out that that was people trying to get out of the office and get to their kids to pick up their kids. So we found that more than anything. Now that we've got the analysis that can tell best day and worst day, it'll be interesting to see if that we see any specific thematics that we we know we haven't seen. But that's been probably the most interesting insight. And the reason why we want to show people the patterns and the trends is that be it a meeting or be it a day, if you can understand when the same thing is happening, then you can do something about it. So we had a client who had, as I said, one was about end of day. Another one had a really big spike of stress every morning at nine o'clock. And I'm like, what do you do? Like actually, sorry, three times a week at nine o'clock, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And I said, what do you do at nine o'clock on Monday, Wednesday and Friday? And they said, that's our team meeting. Oh. And I said, well, it's causing a huge amount of stress. It's causing a huge amount of stress in the team. And and why do you think that's the case? And so I was working with the wellness champion of that team and she went back to the team and talked to the team about this because what has happened, which has been fascinating for me, is they use the platform as a collaboration opportunity. They take the data back to the team and say, hey, team, I don't know if you've seen the data this week, but this is what we've seen or today and, and let's talk about what's happening. So they created an opportunity to collaborate and the team said really basic, two basic things like we don't like the room that the meeting is in. And secondly, because the meeting starts at nine o'clock, we have to get our coffee and get up in the lift by nine o'clock. And it's really busy. Everyone's trying to get into the lift at nine o'clock. And so it creates a huge amount of stress for them trying to get their coffee Mm -hmm. and get up 
into that. So the team manager said, great. She moved the meeting room and she moved the meeting to quarter past nine and the stress went away. Wow, so that's a great we, case, actually. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's – and because sometimes we think it has to be really – complex things and we have had we have had an incident where someone was going on stress leave and we picked that up and we said to the team manager we think you have something going on she said oh my god this is what's going on so sometimes it's right at the end of the extreme of someone taking sick leave and then stress leave again we have picked up that incidence but most of the time and where we think we can add a huge amount of value is just on the really basic everyday things that it would have taken the team manager months probably to figure out that the team meeting was causing stress in her people. It was affecting their productivity. It was affecting the effectiveness of the meeting. And we picked it up in a week and she was like, bang, done, move on. So that's where we know we can really, really help businesses improve their productivity and just reduce, reduce the angst in people. You are also asking the questions in the morning, in the evening. So you are tying the answers to a specific timing. We'll see. The, the way the bot works is, is there's no questions. So because uh-huh. you integrate the bot into the communication channels, the bot takes all of its data from what's being said in the chat. So this is the power of what we're doing. There's no bias. So we're not asking people to self-report. We're not interrupting or intruding on their day. It just sits there looking for the linguistic cues in what's being said. So it's real time. That's why we could give the manager that data so quickly. And it is um, free from any of the self-bias or unconscious bias. And it's the closest to real life that you can get because it's basically the bot becomes like a member of the team, but the best member of the team, that's only job is to look out for the welfare and the mental health and the productivity of the team. That's very curious. Let's say from my own experience in public channels, everything is very neutral and you can tell something from the, the way a person says something, but not from the sentence he's typing and, send into the public channel. So what is an example of such a, let's say, a more emotional sentence or something that you both can learn from? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. And we thought the same, by the way. Like we were a bit skeptical in the beginning going, oh, would we get enough from public channels? And I read back through my team's chat and I can see in my team's chat when people are struggling. So I think the ability to do it is there. The question is, how do we fine-tune the bot to be able to do it? So we look for linguistic cues, as I said, and the beauty of our or the complexity of our system is that we look for those linguistic cues within context. So our bot uses natural language processing um, and we're taking an algorithmic approach and, and machine learning models. So it's the context of within which people are talking that provides a huge amount of richness. But some of the things we say, for example, is we'll look at when we get stressed, we start to withdraw. So we start to use more personal pronouns to protect ourselves. So I, me, my, rather than we and ours. So we look for those sorts of things. We look for the spaces between words. We look for where adjectives are are compared to verbs. And we look for things like swearing in some instances. It's the 
the routine use of those things that start to build a picture and then it's the variance from that. So sometimes we'll be bubbling along and, and everything's good and then you'll just get a massive spike in stress. When we go back and have a look, it's usually because we see a significant amount of those sorts of linguistic cues. And that's combined with the things we know happen in workplaces. So the words we know cause stress. So if someone mm-hmm. is in the workplace talking about being stretched or they're being overworked, that obviously rates somewhere on the scale. If we see someone that's talking about fantastic and achievement and feeling good, then that's going to contribute to the wellness score. So that's a little bit of insight as to how Mm -hmm. we gather the data and then score the data. And then going back to the dashboard. So manager can see some stress levels in a team and what insights they can get from the platform. There's some... The data really is there to power the insights and the interventions. So we talk about the data powering real-time nudges. So I think you're probably familiar, nudge is a a concept that's used quite widely, as I understand in Europe, but correct me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong. The the intent is to be able to give managers on-the-spot help. So the data is used to be, the real-time data is used so we know when you need help and what you need. So in the dashboard, the tips range from really simple things to say to your team. So it could be things like, have you told your team thank you today? Have you recognised your team for the great work that they've done? Have you said to your team how much you've learnt from them and how great it is to have them as part of the team? So it ranges from that through to some some things that we know around leadership, like humour is a great way of diffusing situations. So have you had a laugh today? Those sorts of things through to leadership tools like prioritising. Have you prioritised with your team? Have you looked at workload? Those sorts of things. So it's, we have a spectrum of interventions and tools that we suggest to the manager to use, depending on if you're stressed or if you're well. And if you're well, like if the team's performing really well, then we'll say, here's ways of maintaining that. Capture what you're doing. Remember it for next time, all that stuff. The interventions we have come from a range of sources. So some are our own leadership experience, some we've got from some professionals. Mm -hmm. We're working with the university here in Australia to build that out a little bit more. And what we've got on the site now is our starting point. We'll continue to evolve those over time. Then the next step for the product later this year will be to push that to managers and individuals. So rather than waiting for you to have to come to the dashboard and find the insights, Indy will push it to you, of course, with your permission. So as you need that help, all of a sudden it pops up on your phone or your computer Mm -hmm. and you get that help right when you need it. Your target audience is mostly corporations, uh, bigger companies. Uh, Is it right? Well, we are, we're a business, a B2B company. We have been selling largely to enterprises for the last couple of years, and that will continue. But we also have, through our platform, started to get some demand from small to medium enterprises. So we have tweaked or tailored the platform in a way that's fully self-service for 
SMEs so they can download it and be off and running with Indie without any help from us or any support from us. And that's the market that we'll be putting a lot of effort into this year from a sales and marketing point of view because that market has been reaching out to us to say, please help us. We really want to understand how we can help our teams be more productive, how they can be healthy in the workplace, but also uniquely for that market, I think, is if they lose a key person, so if a small business loses a key individual, that has a significant impact on that business, Mm -hmm. a significant impact in terms of IP, like the intellectual property that's lost, it disrupts the team, it it can sometimes result in losing customers. And that has a bigger impact for SMEs than it seems to for large enterprise. So we really think we can help companies retain their key talent and prevent that talent from leaving. And so we want to be able to support that market this year. And it seems like smaller and medium companies, they might have a bit different attitude towards these systems because, first of all, they do not have a dedicated person, like it might be in a corporation, a dedicated person who is responsible for wellness, for stress reduction, let's say. And in a smaller company, it's mostly about interpersonal relations and just you and 10 other people. And you can pretty much feel what's happening in your team. So that's why I was asking if you're working mostly with corporations, because it seems like more rational choice. I think, yes, to both of those things. What we have seen through COVID is that most of those teams aren't interacting the way they were before. So mm-hmm. when we were all in the workplace, if we were all in the workplace together, you've got a better chance because the manager or the, the CEO of the company's job is keep, to keep across it. Whether that happens is a different story. So I have managers that are saying to me, I can't get my arms around all these people. I have 20 people and I can't keep across it. Or mm-hmm. And I have managers that have 100 people that are all over it. So I think our leadership ability changes and and it's variable depending on the person. So I think we have that. But now we also have COVID, which means that you don't get to see your people. And if you do see them, you're seeing them in a very different way. And it's not consistent like it was before. So the tools and the techniques that we had in the office a year ago don't necessarily apply to our ways of working today. So here in Australia, we can start to go back to the office now in a safe way. We're still finding lots of teams are not going back to the office. So we're moving into this world now where we have a hybrid way of working, where we have some people in the office and some working remotely. And I think that will become the new way of working. And in that environment where you don't have everyone together all the time, what you need is you need tools that can give you a sense of where things are at and what's happening. And I think the small businesses, because you're absolutely right, they don't really have someone that's dedicated to this because they don't have the the resources or the money to invest in this. They're looking for digital solutions that can help fill that gap, that are smart, that are intuitive, that are valuable, mm-hmm. efficient cost-wise, and that can help give them a sense of the things that they're missing or in some instances just reinforce what they intuitively thought was going on. But that example that I gave about people struggling at around three o'clock to get out and pick up their kids actually was from a small business of about 40 people. And Mm -hmm. they didn't know that that was going on until 
they had our data. Also, as far as I understand, uh, you're working with technology. I mean, artificial intelligence and machine learning the first time. And what was the biggest challenge for you? Wow, the biggest challenge was this stuff is complicated and it's very technical and I feel like I'm stating the obvious. <laughs> anyone anyone <laughs> in technology knows this. I think I approached it like I would anything, which is, okay, well, I know one, two, three, so I'll find someone to do four, five and six. So I found my CTO on a trip to San Francisco actually and he started just advising me on some technology stuff. Someone else was building the MVPs for me. And I just, I intuitively didn't think something was right. I had learned by that point that I needed just to ask questions. If it didn't feel right, the answer was me trying to understand things or making sure that the technology people understood what my vision was for the mm. product. So I was asking a whole lot of questions and I was talking to him about, what do you think of this and what do you think of that? And he was basically helping me through that. So he was helping me understand what the right questions were to ask and what answers I should be looking for and really just reinforcing and giving me confidence that my instincts were right actually and the direction we were going in wasn't great and that we needed to head in a different direction. He came on board and decided to to join us, move back to Australia and be our CTO. And that's been incredible because he's got the technical expertise to build what mm -hmm. we need to build, to mentor and develop the en the engineers and developers that we need. And so he and I work really well together because he educates me. So, and he spends a lot of time explaining to me about this is why it's important. He's never, ever made me feel stupid because I'm not a technology person. He's actually the one when I said to him, I'm not a uh, technical expert. He just said to me, you are a technical expert, but you're a technical expert in your domain expertise. So don't, again, say that you're not a technical expert. You're an expert in organisations. You're an expert in mental health. You're an expert in burnout. You're an expert in leadership. Just because you're not a developer or coder doesn't mean you're not a technical expert. And that was quite enlightening because I realised that I could bring value to the table. And he is a technical expert in the technology that we need. So the natural language processing, the machine learning, the databases, the way that we make the data secure, the, the way that we build it into the cloud, how we become cloud agnostic, how we use our two-factor authentication. He's an expert in that area. So together we complement each other quite nicely. And that's how I've learned and built the technical stuff. Well, since you mentioned it, do you are an expert in mental health and organizations? What do you think of the future of personalized mental health treatment? So maybe future of employee well-being platforms and how it will grow. We saw last week Microsoft launch their new Viva platform. And that is an evolution of a few things that Microsoft were doing. But they had their workplace analytics platform and their my analytics platform. And they ramped that up during COVID. And one of the key, key things they were looking for in that platform was well-being. And whilst... We do, in my opinion, of course, I'm going to say this, I think we do well-being in a much more holistic and more effective way, and we will build on the Microsoft platform for our clients. The fact that Microsoft has gone into this space gives me a lot of confidence that this will mm -hmm. be the future of work. So the fact that we're now, not only are we in a world that our mental 
capacity is so taken up with something else. So COVID has put such a cognitive load on our mental capacity. It means that we're only ever working at 80, 90, 70% because 30, 40% is always on COVID. Are we safe? Is our family safe? Can I go to the shops? Am I going to get sick? Do I have to wear a mask? Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at the news as to how many people are getting sick. Like even if we completely ignore it, there's a huge chunk of our cognitive processing that is taken up with this pandemic as it should be because literally in some instances our lives are at risk so because we have that and will have that for some time our cognitive capacity is limited so with that aside the way that we work is changing and any time we change as human beings it requires a lot more energy to change we have to leave old patterns and old behaviours behind and we have to create new ones and that creates uncertainty for us and that creates fear and that again takes more of our energy to manage and so all of that contributes to this perfect storm of mental health because if we are so overwhelmed with everything that's going on around us with the pandemic, with the fact that we have to work in a new way, with the fact that we can't see our boss, with the fact that our livelihood is potentially at stake because there are economic repercussions of a pandemic. All of that weighs very, very heavily on our mental health. And it's only a matter of time before that level of overwhelm and stress translates itself into potentially a more serious mental health issue. So I think we'll see in the future organisations focusing on this, not because they think it's the right thing to do. I think they do think it's the right thing to do and they want to be seen to do the right thing, but I think it will start to impact their bottom line. What we'll see is we'll see more people taking sick leave because of mental health. We'll see more people step out of the workplace because of mental health issues. And we're already seeing an impact on productivity. So that will just grow and grow and grow. And it will continue to grow to the point where companies have no choice but to start doing something about it. The organisations that will thrive will be the ones that are already ahead of it. And we've got some companies we're working with that understand that this is a challenge and are getting in front of the challenge so they can genuinely support their people. It will become a big focus in the future, but it will take time and there will be lots of stumbles before we get it right. And unfortunately, we're going to see much greater instances of mental health issues before we figure it out. I'm hoping that through these podcasts and talking to people that they realise that if we can deal with the early warning factors, if we can manage the early warning system well, we can prevent the mental health. Unfortunately, as human beings, we don't like to do something about a situation until we have a burning platform. What I hope and my vision through this product is that we can provide preventative care totally and we can personalize that preventative care through technology technology gives us an incredible platform that we can provide personalized preventative care to everyone globally like my vision is that everyone has india on their phone and it becomes as commonplace as a spell checker as commonplace as the phone directory that remembers our phone numbers and we just have that as a way of life and then we have positive productive mental health, and it enables us really to thrive. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. And also I think COVID helped us since right now we have much more time to actually think of our work and not just be inside this routine processes when you're just getting up and going to work. Right now we have some time to consider other options and try something new. And I also have a few fast fire questions to you, which are maybe not really related to the company. Uh, the first one would be, what would you write on a billboard? So what's your message? Oh, wow. Oh, God, that's such a good question. What would I write on a billboard? Hmm. Someone asked me why I do this uh, a couple of months ago, and my answer mm-hmm. was, I can, so I should. So I think that's what I would write on the billboard. I can, so I should. There is so much behind it for each person. <laughs> and a second question would be if you could only work two hours a day and the rest would be done by other people or systems, what would you do? I would lead my people. So in those two hours, I would make sure that people were set up for success. How were they feeling? Were they clear on their tasks? Were they clear on where the company was going? Did they have what they need to be successful, like as in systems and processes and education and whatever? That's what I would spend. And that's what I spend the majority of my time on, actually. So, my two hours would be 100% dedicated to my people. And your favorite stress reduction technique? I love to laugh. We'll be silly. We laugh a lot. So we have a lot of fun. We have a daily check-in with the team because we're all working remotely. So we get on, you know, the Zoom every morning and we laugh. We share silly YouTube clips and songs and funny backgrounds. We tell jokes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... I, I really do like to laugh and if and, and that will help in most situations. If it's really like if I'm incredibly, incredibly stressed, I will just get out on my own and go for a walk or sometimes I just need to get away. For the most part, a good laugh tends to kick me out of it. And Yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting because I never heard about mm, laugh as a stress reduction technique and yeah, well, I never use it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, exactly. Well, actually, there is some research that's now starting to show. And this uh-huh. is before, I, I would laugh before I knew this, but there is some research that's starting to talk about <laughs> humour as a very effective way of reducing stress. So, yeah. And the other thing is, like I said, I've got 20 years work experience. The other thing I've realised is that I keep it in perspective. So, the reality is I'm wanting to do a good thing for the world and help people. But at the end of the day, I'm doing my best and I keep it in perspective. So I say to my kids, has someone died or are you bleeding? Like they're my questions. Are you bleeding? And if if the answer is no to both of those, then I'm like, okay, well, then we can, we can deal with it. And I remind that of myself. I'm like, okay, let's just keep this in perspective here. It's not the end of the world. It's one piece of code that doesn't work. Or it's not the end of the world. It's one customer that didn't renew, but I've got another hundred down the pipeline. So I think that perspective is is critical when you're building something from scratch in, in a challenging environment. Yeah, that's that's very true. And do you have any morning or end of the day rituals that help you to support your mental health or maybe even physical health because they're connected? Oh, yeah, I do. It's interesting that you ask that because I've just started reading Limitless. So Jim Zwick's mm-hmm. book, which is super cool. I'm absolutely loving it. And I have some little morning routines where I, in the morning, I set, a, set some goals for the day and I talk about what I'm grateful for and what I'm going to focus mm-hmm. on and what I'm letting go of. So I do that in the morning. I don't look at my phone and emails and stuff straight away. 
I make sure I'm present with my family. So I have breakfast with my kids and my partner and we talk about their day and stuff like that. So I, I make sure that I am present for the people in my life rather than just about work. And I, I spend a bit of time grounding myself. At the end of the day, I don't have devices and stuff in the room. So I, I just I make sure I have a bit of time switching off. I used to work every night right up until I went to bed and then I slept terribly. So now I'll only really work at night when it's essential. And I make sure I do my wind down routine before bed. So I have a shower and I talk to my partner quietly and I'll do some reading. That's not work reading. And then I tend to sleep better. So that's helped me maintain my physical and mental health as well. Yeah, I do meditate too. I'm not, I'm oh. not hugely mm-hmm. consistent with it, but yeah, that helps. It's great when you can meditate, but sometimes you just can't be yeah. trying to, to do. But That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would actually recommend you a book, which is Atomic Habits. So this one is also about habits and um, it's closely related to these rituals. So in the morning or in the evening, you are thankful about something or you are doing journaling or you are meditating and you are doing yoga. And it's interesting that they're trying to teach you how to make these new habits part of your daily routine because you are spending like three minutes, five minutes doing it and it's easy. You can make yourself do it. I think you can. I think they say that habits... I haven't read Atomic Habits. I've heard about it. I try and take small steps. So just in rather than having to get up a whole hour earlier, I'm like, okay, well, I'll get up 10 minutes earlier and I'll do my intention setting and stuff like that. And then you can make that 10 minutes earlier. So I, I don't beat myself up. I used to be very hard on myself and really beat myself up if I wasn't doing everything perfectly. And again, mm-hmm. I've realized over time that's just a waste of effort. So I try and make things simple for myself, set myself up for success. And then if I don't get it one day, I'm like, oh, well, I didn't get it today, but then Mm -hmm. I get it the next day. I tend to find I keep a little notebook by my bed where I write what I'm grateful for and my intentions and stuff in it. And just that act of writing it down then encourages me to do it because I don't want to open up the book and see that I've missed a couple of days. So I'm like, oh, so that simple things like that help. And I put reminders in my calendar. So I put in my calendar, read, do this in the morning. So mm-hmm. if I happen to miss it, I open up my diary and at 7am it says do intentions. And I'm like, oh yeah. So some of those things tend to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. If anyone's listening to this podcast and you have thoughts or ideas or something you'd like to see us do with a product, please feel free to drop us a line. The website's pioneera.com. When you put it into Google, it looks like you're trying to search for Pioneer, but no, it's Pioneera with an A on the end. Well, thank you. You have an amazing Sunday evening ahead. Thank you. Thank you. And you have a lovely Sunday day. <laughs> Enjoy. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Bye.